Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by Cars.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Hello, I'm glad you're joining us for our MotorWeek podcast number 16. And around our table sits two of our podcast regulars, our road test producer, Brian Robinson. Hello. And our writer extraordinaire, Shamit Choksi. Hi, John. And we've also been joined today by our podcast producer, Michelle Parker. Thanks for letting me talk today. And I have to apologize. I didn't have time to bake cookies. Oh, no cookies. So, you know, we have no treats to keep us uh, uh, awake. awake and satisfied. Last time for talking. Uh, let's see. Our subjects today, Shamit, we're going to start with you, and we're going to be talking about uh, um, the VW Jetta TDI Sport Wagon. Then we're going to go to Brian Robinson and talk about a motorcycle, the Triumph Street Triple R, and also uh, touch on the BMW 7 Series. Coming up also, we'll have our lightning round, and we'll even look at our Motor Week mailbag. So, um, Shamit, let's start with you. Volkswagen Jetta TDI, TDI Sport Wagon. Now, we gave the TDI our uh, Motor Week uh, Best Car of the Year award for our Driver's Choice Awards. Correct. Sport Wagon, however, you know, same powertrain as the sedan, and we touched on it in our road test uh, originally, but we didn't spend a lot of time on it. Why do you think people might want to consider the Sport Wagon over the TDI sedan? Well, I mean, this is, it's, bottom line, it's more family-friendly, it's more practical than than the the sedan. It has all the benefits of the sedan in terms of, like you said, the powertrain, the the clean diesel, Um, but... Astoundingly, it has it offers seventy cubic feet of storage space. I think that's the biggest thing. You know, that's where the seats down, and that's actually more than a lot of compact utility. Absolutely, um, and you know, this just uh, just for comparison, the sedan's trunk is sixteen cubic feet. So that I mean, there's a huge difference there. I mean, if you want to haul any kind of gear, luggage, whatever, I mean, this is the car. Uh, this is the of the two. This is the variant you want. Um, if you have kids, if you want to, you know groceries anything this is this is definitely the better choice i mean uh we have two kids now at home the, if i was going to buy the tdi uh it would be absolutely be the sport wagon but you know driver's choice awards means what it says it's their vehicles that we also like to drive and and the jetta sedan really is a uh, a german sports sedan right. um how do you feel about driving I, this vehicle? I, you know, I, I mean, I want to get some thoughts from Brian here, too, because, you know, he spent he spent some time behind the wheel. But I don't think that this car made any compromises going to the, the wagon. I think all it did was add practicality and a little bit of headroom. But in terms of driving, I mean, it, it felt the same to me. Power, torque, everything. It's it's still a fun car, and it's stylish looking from the outside. I I have nothing bad to say about this wagon. That's probably why they call it a sport wagon, I guess. But, Brian? Yeah, it was obviously a very solid car to begin with. So I had a little weight up top. Didn't really affect it too much. You push it really hard, like, you know, at the track or something. It gets a little top-heavy and rolls a little bit more. But, you know, driving around the street, I mean, it's... Every bit as fun to drive as the sedan. What about diesels? Do you think they're ever going to make a comeback? And is this the kind of vehicle that that you'd like to see uh, with diesel powertrains? You know, it's still hard to say because I I think it's embedded in in our culture that diesel is. I mean, it's, you know, you go over to Europe and everybody's driving diesels. Everybody loves diesels. Here, there's this stigma 
And even though we've gone to clean diesel, even though this is the next generation of clean diesels, I think it's going to still take a couple of years to shake out. I hope so, because I think this is a great alternate to um, to the hybrids that we're seeing now. I mean, really, the problem is the fuel cost for most people and the fact that diesels cost a little more. But then hybrids cost more, too. And here you're getting... Uh, Hybrid-like fuel economy. What did we get? Um, we, we got thirty, just over thirty-eight. Yeah, so you almost know, forty miles 40. per gallon. Um, and also, we get you get the tax credit here that a lot of hybrids are not offering. Right. I think the Volkswagen buyers, you know, might be a little unique. They're kind of Euro-minded anyway. And uh, you know, years back when they had diesels before, they, they sold plenty of diesels. So I think it'll be good for Jetta. Michelle, you know, practical vehicles often end up basically being the kid-carrying vehicles, and I know you've got a crossover utility. Would you go back to a station wagon? I mean, that's, uh, you know, we haven't really had station wagons popular in this country for quite a while. I think I would. I When I had my first daughter almost seven years ago, I went out and I got a Volvo, a Volvo station, station wagon, wagon. and mm. then I had another child three years later, and that just wasn't big enough. So the decision was minivan or crossover. And I almost went minivan, but my husband talked me into buying a crossover, and I've been very happy with it. Um, the only problem is getting into that third row of seats. you got to kind of climb through the middle. Um, but I, I enjoy driving the station wagon a little more. It's just it's more like a car. Right. It and is it's car. not as bulky. Right. I still have tr- a little trouble parallel parking that big crossover. And it, it, the crossovers, at least the one I have, sometimes it's hard to see behind you when you're pulling right. out of spaces. And I purposely try to pull through as many times as possible because you, you really don't want to run over somebody in the parking lot. But um, also in terms of the Jetta, the Jetta um, was the first car I owned back. You had a Jetta. I had a Jetta. I think it was a 1988 Jetta. And my question to you is, are, are they more reliable now, almost the answer is they are. Uh, they often don't do as well in the quality ratings as some of the other uh, European and most of the domestic and Japanese brands. But Volkswagen has done a good job of bringing their quality up to, I think, very respectable standards. And they also offer a much better warranty than they used to. So the simple answer is yes. I think they. I don't think people really have to worry about that. I don't think there's any vehicles sold in this country that are of substandard quality. Just some might score a few points better than the others. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Let's move on now to uh, Brian's uh, tour de force. You basically just completed uh, your first uh, 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 motorcycle segment for Motor Week. It was the Triumph Street Triple R. What did you think about the bike? Uh, sweet little bike, no doubt. As, as you mentioned, this was my first uh, foray into the bike testing for a show. and uh, But you've been riding bikes for a long time. Yeah, my whole life. I started out, you know, when I was eight or nine wow. bikes and pretty much been riding nonstop since but uh street triple r 675 cc middleweight i guess you can call it a naked bike uh it's like a sport bike without the body work basically uh, 107 horsepower which if you're not really into motorcycles doesn't sound like a lot but it only weighs 367 pounds so power to weight ratio uh, you'd have to have like an 1100 horsepower M3 to kind of <laughs> equivalent that. So, I mean, it's insanely fast. That puts it into perspective, doesn't yeah. it? What did you feel? Was it a comfortable bike to ride? Because it, it didn't look that comfortable. Yeah, it wasn't that bad. It's definitely a sporty position, but it does have an actual handlebar, so you're not mm-hmm. crouched over so much. But, uh, I mean, you could do a one 200-mile day on it pretty easily. The fuel tank's pretty big, isn't it? It was uh, 4.6 gallons. Yeah, it's which, a big, fat 
Yeah. It's more uh, the shape of it's more about styling to be able to kind of tuck your legs in underneath mm-hmm. of it. But uh, it's, uh, I think it's about a, probably a 200 mile range mm-hmm. altogether. So. Why would you buy a, a Triumph bike? Uh, over, you know, the more traditional uh, Japanese and, of course, American brands. I mean, what's what's the attraction there? Exclusivity or what? Well, their unique thing is their three-cylinder. A lot of their uh, performance bikes have the three-cylinder motor, which uh, V-twins are known for, uh, you know, kind of low-end torque. Uh, a lot of the Japanese sport bikes with their inline fours or more high-end drivers, this fits right in the middle. Uh, you know, it's pretty torquey off the line, but you, you can ring it out to, I think, 13,000 RPM and gets uh, some power in the top end, too. So they have kind of, you know, their British niche kind of as well going for them. Any quality issues there? I mean, it used to be British cars, uh, you know, were not considered the, the best. Uh, no, none, none whatsoever. Let's move on then to the BMW 7 Series, uh, basically, the, you know, the remake of the BMW flagship. Yeah, I think it's the fifth generation uh, 7 Series now. And last generation was a little controversial with the <laughs> styling. And also that was the original iDrive vehicle to come out. So um, no one really complained about the handling at all. But no, but it had the, yeah. uh, the, the, uh, the styling, especially in the rear, left something to be desired. But yeah. uh, they've toned that down substantially. Yeah, it looks much better. A lot more traditional BMW-like, very sporty, lots of sharp creases. Uh, big wheels and tires. I think it's got the longest wheelbase in its class. So mm-hmm. it's it definitely uh, improved the uh, looks, especially interior. I like the interior a lot. It's all the woodwork is more like uh, custom cabinetry, more so than uh, yeah. car interior. Technologically too, it's. it's I think these are your words. You, you called it a tour de force. Yeah, you know, I mean, it really is. It's it's amazing. Let's talk about iDrive. This is the new generation of the central controller that that BMW pretty much started the the wave of. I know we're not all crazy about these central controllers, but how did you rank the new iDrive? Yeah, it's nice. If you didn't like it before, you might like it a little more now. I, I don't it's know much that. Cleaner. Yeah, it's got some. Instead of having to go up and down, or it's got actual menu buttons there, which I think is the big. Big improvement. You don't have to remember which way is up for uh, information or climate or whatever. You just press the press the button and go right to that menu. So. Uh, I personally thought they they did a great job of redoing it. I think they've nailed it. Style, but styling and iDrive are the two big things. Yeah. What, whatever yeah. happened to Chris Bangle? I guess he's. Uh, um, I just re- I just read the other day. Well, he's left BMW. Um, he's he will have no shortage of opportunities. But I believe he's going to do more industrial design. But sure. I'm not sure. But back to the performance. I should know, but I don't. <laughs> it is definitely uh, the ultimate uh, driving machine as far as the big luxury uh, barges are concerned. 400 horsepower, uh, turbo V8, super quick for such a heavy car. I think low five-second, zero to 60s, and just ultra smooth, as you expect from BMW. Um, you know, if you can at all afford it, I couldn't really see a reason not to buy it. Yeah, I think it's a good rework of a great car. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's move on now to our lightning round. We've got a question, and uh, we've got two minutes to sort of debate it. It's uh, basically all hands on deck. Uh, anybody can jump in here. And here's, uh, here's the deal. Here's our lightning round question. With Pontiac's obituary written, they're going away in, going away in 2010, and Honda and Toyota canceling uh, most of their high-performance projects, uh, in this newfound world of emission standards uh, being hiked and high fuel economy being required, is high performance debt? Who wants to be first? 
Uh, I'll say I'll say no. I mean, there's always going to be a market for it. I think maybe we certainly can look at being more environmentally responsible about it. But I mean, there's always going to be a market for it. And if you look at how many advancements we get in the automotive industry that are directly related to you know high performance vehicles. Yeah, I mean, even look at the racing world. That the racing world is implementing. Um, uh, better efficiency so and the, fuels and yeah, so, yeah and this is yeah. america there you know it's the land of the corvette there's no way performance is going away i mean so they asked the question of bmw and mercedes engineers at recent events and both of them said look our ultra high performance machines like our m cars and our amgs they're such a small percentage we can still make those for the people that want them and you know not basically interfere with the rest of our goals i do think that for a while we're going to see fewer of them but you know who says a hybrid or an all-electric car can't be high-performance? After all, most of the, the GM EV1, the original GM electric car, was actually faster than the uh, uh, Nissan Z car of the sure. day. And Tesla so. and Fisker, and yep. there's all kinds of people on, uh, on the forefront. So. Just, it may not have the same growl. Maybe they have to pipe in the noise. Yeah, artificial, mm-hmm. artificial growl. Mm-hmm. Did we not reach our two minutes? Can we keep going? Oh, I think we reached our uh, two minutes. Uh, <laughs> well, that was an easy question. I was just that was say, an easy one. I think there's always going to be a market for high performance. That's, that's all I call. have to well, say. You, well, but, but that's important because, and I don't mean to sound uh, sexist here, but, but women drivers have made up a huge section of the high-performance market. And for many years, they are the ones that drove Mustang and Camaro sales. And so it's a, a very important uh, part of the market. I'm seeing a lot of women driving the, the Sky, too. I think they're Yeah, really, Sky Sport. They're a yeah. beautiful sports yeah. car. All right. With that said, we're now going to move on to our Motor Week mailbag. Now, if you've got a question that you'd like to have us answered on one of the podcasts, why don't you visit our website at www.motorweek.org. You can submit your question. If chosen, you'll get a free Motor Week T-shirt. Ooh, I don't hear any. Ooh. Sound effects, please. (laughs) All right, here's our question. It's from Jeff from London, Ontario, Canada. He says, with the bankruptcy of Chrysler and the possible bankruptcy of other automakers, as well as the elimination of models and entire brands like Pontiac, should vehicle owners stock up on certain parts that might be hard to find or are more expensive in the future? If so, what parts? Well, basically, you know, if Pontiac goes away, most of the mechanical parts are shared with other GM products. GM's not going away. Same at Chrysler. Uh, so not to worry there. The only thing would be, and the manufacturers, you know, pretty much have to make parts available, the me- mechanical parts for, uh, I think it's 8 to 10 years and safety parts even longer. But if you're worried about trim, you know, if you're worried about an extra seat of a set of seat covers or the chrome or trim along the side, that's the stuff, or even fenders, that will get sparse quicker on low-volume vehicles. Mm. But there's a huge market out there with vendors that buy up excess parts and sell them at uh, flea markets sure, and stuff. Yeah, they sit on them for years and wait for them to... And there's yeah. always eBay, I guarantee you. Yeah, that stuff will always live on. Well, like you say, there's so much platform sharing, very... Very little about any car anymore is certainly unique to that car, so uh, I don't really see a need to stock up on anything. You know, Jeff, I wouldn't worry about it. I think it's <laughs> a, I don't think it's something to be concerned about. Well, that looks like that wraps up our Motor Week podcast number 16 for today. I want to thank our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, our podcast creator, Bob Mixter, and thank you, Michelle Parker, our producer, for joining us at the microphone yes. today. Can I say one thing? Yes, you certainly can. Um, I just want to let everyone know that Motor Week has really, we're getting into the whole social 
social media thing, and we're now on Facebook. So if you'd like Ooh, to really? join us, yes, you need to have your wow. profile on Facebook first, and then go to Facebook uh, Search Motor Week, and then when you get on our fan page, click at the top of the, the screen, and uh, it says become a fan, and you can become a fan and see the latest road test videos and road test diaries and all the latest goings-on here at Motor Week. We are everywhere. Cool. We are everywhere. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, and join us next time for more MotorWeek podcasts. You have been listening to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by Cars.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.